I'm Kat Harris. Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm an educator, brand strategist, and content creator. This podcast is designed to dig below the surface and to hold space for meaningful dialogue. It's a place where done is better than perfect, where quality triumphs quantity, and where the journey is the destination. So I invite you to leave your Superman cape of having it all together at the door because life is messy and beautifully imperfect. We all have a story to tell, and I want to hear yours. Hey friends, we want to invite you to be a part of the Refined Collective Podcast Tribe. Patreon is an incredible platform that allows artists and creatives to raise funds that empower them to do their craft with excellence by giving you, our audience, the opportunity to sign up for monthly pledges. You can sign up for as little as $5 a month. Our Patreon tribe has first access to our latest episodes, as well as information and insight concerning all things Refined Collective podcast related. Please check out our page and join us in empowering us to continue to create meaningful episodes, interviews, and content for y'all. You can find our page at www.patreon.com forward slash The Refined Collective. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Refined Collective Podcast. I am your host. How do you know everybody's a friend? <laughs> this is how this episode. Just, I just wanna, I just wanna start off by saying that first, because everyone is a friend. Okay. <laughs> this episode's a mistake. <laughs> what are we doing here? Everyone is a friend, and this is really what I believe about that because I believe we're about to get deep. Okay, okay. All human beings are made in the image of God, mm-hmm. male and female. There is like this divine spark within each human being. So because of that, because we have this like divine spark, this God image in us, I don't believe there's any such thing as boring. I don't believe that there is any such thing as not being able to connect with another person. Because when we really strip everything else away, we all want the same thing. We all want to be loved feel connection, intimacy, understood, and known. And so for that sense, for that reason, I believe I can say with authenticity, hey, friend. That's Johan, me. welcome to the podcast. It's good to be here. Johan and I have known each other for a very long time. We've been friends for almost 10 years. Johan is one of those people in my life where we have kind of gone through stuff together. We have both leaned in at different times to uncomfortable conversations. And you always push me to be a better version of myself. You are not a yes man. And sometimes that drives me crazy. But I know that you are committed to a friendship with me. And this is how you do life with people. Yeah. That you want to see people grow. And you see, like, you see people. Like in their potential, that's who you see them as now. Right. And so I, I appreciate you. Well, thank you. I appreciate yeah. you. See, we're friends. See, we're friends. So you can say hello, friend, to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, Johan, I want you sure. to introduce yourself to my friends. <laughs> All of your friends. All of my friends. Who are you? What are you up to? Why are you up to it? <laughs> I always struggle with those, like the intro thing. Yeah. Because like there's, I I feel like there's a lot of things that could be pertinent to your audience or even not pertinent, but I'll start off with some of the general things. Um, I'm a youth motivational speaker and I've been doing that for um, 15 years of my life. Yeah. Which is a pretty long time. I'm an old ass man. (laughs) But yeah, I've been, I've been speaking for quite a long time and my, my life is dedicated to telling the truth figuring out what is true for myself, for the culture that I'm living in, calling out lies. And I think that's part of why you said that we have the friendship that we have and why sometimes I am not the most comfortable friend to have Mm -hmm. is because I don't like living in lies myself or, you know, when it comes to the friends around me, I don't think it's the best move to let them live in lies as well. Mm -hmm. So whenever I discover something, I try to lead the way first by example, as opposed Mm -hmm. to preaching or coming down on people. Um, definitely haven't been perfect in that, but my whole life speaking, 
I wouldn't say preaching because I'm I don't think I'm much of a preacher. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm definitely dedicated to communicating things that matter and yeah. telling the truth in, in our culture. And why is that? Even when you like what pings <clears throat> me about what you just said is you don't want to live in lies or fear and you don't want that for other people. Like that has to like come from a place, like yeah. an experience. Like why is that something that Oh man. I, well, I think it comes from a few places. I think the primary place is my relationship with God and, um, seeing God clearly, I think is part of the point of life. Like the more you see God clearly, the more you truly understand reality and see the world clearly. So when I was 20 years old, I met Jesus and that shifted everything for me. It's like, that's when my passion for knowing what was true and good and noble and right and just began, you know, and and I wasn't a bad kid. I was actually a kid who, you know, decided when I was 11 years old, I was never going to drink or do drugs. I will drink beverages, but I will not drink alcoholic beverages. You you haven't drank water So I'm a walking anomaly. I don't don't need water anymore. (laughs) And uh, because I drink the water of life, you know, that's right. Um, Yeah. So, no alcohol at an early age, no drugs. And I grew up in the inner city of Chicago. I grew up in a really bad area where there was tons of gangs and opportunities to get into mischief. And because of my uncle and the life that he was living in front of me, I was like, I just don't want to be like him. And he was a guy who did all those things. Mm-hmm. So I decided as a little person, I'm like, I'm going to live the, the straight and narrow. And then when I met Jesus, it wasn't about, oh, this bad kid turned into like a good kid. It was this person is now understanding what life is about. Mm. You know, this, this person who was, I think, walking a path where life was about him is now trying to wrap his mind around how do you truly live life? Like, mm. how do you live a life of meaning and purpose? Mm. Um, how do the invisible things of life uh, become real? Mm. So that's when that all started. I think mm. that was like the catalyst. And then I think from there, you know, there's life experiences that have sort of made me want to be more and more of that type of person. And a lot of it is coming into contact with pain and suffering, Mm -hmm. um, really trying to dissect what my parents went through Mm -hmm. and the wounds of my past and my family. I think all of that fits into that answer. Yeah. Yeah. And even when you talk about your past with your uncle, I've heard you talk about that part of your story before. What comes to my mind is like you as this child seeing something that didn't feel true, and or didn't feel right or whatever you want to call it. And your act of rebellion was going the opposite way. And what I've seen in your life over the years is you being this rebellious person, whether that's rebellious against what culture expects of you, against what the church expects of you, against what other people's expectations are of you. Mm -hmm. And I guess what I'm what I'm curious about is yeah. like well first of all does that resonate like oh for I, sure yeah I, I've I've actually um, painted that picture a few yeah. times for people to be like when you grow up in dysfunction you try to rebel against dysfunction mm-hmm. like as a kid you know I think embedded in all of us is that rebellious spirit mm-hmm. like I think we all have a rebellious spirit in us I think the key as a human being is figuring out the right things to rebel mm-hmm. in. And within, right? Part of the narrative that has been told to us is like, oh, don't rebel. Like, don't be rebellious. I don't I don't think that's actually healthy. I think there's always something to rebel against. Mm. Or like rebellion is bad. That's like, what I'm saying. Why like, does rebellion have to be bad? Well, because I think we live in a world that wants to control people. <laughs> I, I think we live in a world where when you fall in line, it's easier to get people to do what you want them to do. Mm. And sometimes that's just byproducts. Mm. Sometimes that's keeping people in pews and, you know, them giving tithes on Sunday, like fill in the blank of all the ways Mm -hmm. people just want you to do what they're telling you to do as opposed to, no, find your way. Yeah. That's, that's much more, you know, risky in terms of leadership. Yeah. But let me help you find your way. Mm -hmm. And then we can journey together as we try to make a difference in ourselves and in the world around us. You know, so I think rebellion is actually a beautiful thing when we're finding those areas of, of life that are worth rebelling against. Yeah. And I can see from a leader's perspective why you'd want to keep the peace or let's just, 
whether you're preaching or a teacher in a high school, whatever, it's kind of, it feels more comfortable and less risky to say, here's what's right. Here's what's wrong. Here's what's good. Here's what's bad because the gray is messy. Yeah. The gray is hard to navigate and there has to be space and permission for people to be on a journey. And it's easier quote unquote to deal with like, do this, don't do that. Conversation over. Of course. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. I think, I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, if that's what people want, then they don't want reality because the truth of the world that we live in is this day is rebelling against what our plans were, right? Like it's raining outside right now and there's some rebellion happening because right, we had plans and now those plans need to be shifted because of the weather. And all of life is full of some sort of rebellion. Mm -hmm. Nothing like it's rare that everything goes according to plan or it's rare that everything is the way that it's quote unquote supposed to be. Yeah. So, like, why do we want to create uh, a world where, no, it is controlled. Mm. Everything can fall in line. It's like, whoever thinks that way is just not being real. Yeah. The more you prepare for a life where rebellion is going to happen within you and in the people around you, the more you actually are prepared for life. Mm. And I wonder if part of that is, like, when you're saying being disconnected from reality is, like, a, num- a numbing. To be a rebel is to be open to the experience of life. It's open to life looking differently than I thought it would look for myself. It means giving another person permission to fumble or fail or make mistakes or not make mistakes or their shifts and turns becoming greater things than we could have ever imagined. But I like, I almost see like not being open to rebellion as like almost being asleep at the wheel. Right. Like you're going to have to numb something in you to not be open to the other. Right. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. If you call yourself a Christian, you can't read the scriptures and be like, oh, yeah, rebellion, rebellion is bad. Moses rebelled against the Egyptian empire. Mm -hmm. And that was the reason why, you know, Israel was saved. Right. Like Jesus was rebelling against the Roman Empire. Jesus was rebelling against the, uh, the religious norm of the time, like his the people that hated Jesus the most were rabbis, Pharisees, right? People of the cloth. And he was rebelling against them in creating this new way of looking at what it meant to be a person of faith, mm. right? So it's like, you can't read the scriptures and be like, fall in line. Because mm. that is not, that's not the message of the scriptures. It is about truth, but uh, I think we have to understand that like, truth is this thing that we have to consistently be pursuing. It's not Mm. like we land in the truth and then it's done. Mm. You know, I think the beauty of the truth is like, it is constantly growing. We're adding more layers to what is true, right? It's not like the truth is changing. It's just, there's more depth Mm. to what the truth is. And that, and that is different. Yeah, that that is different. It's a nuance because at first when you say like truth is ever changing, then my first question is, well, then is God not real? Or is like, your experience from when you were 20, like Jesus isn't the way anymore. Right. And that's what I'm saying. I'm like, imagine Jesus coming into town saying, Oh, you have heard that it was said this, but I'm telling you this people could respond. Oh, well, wait a minute. We grew up believing this thing. Now you're, you're flipping it inside out. So are you saying God has changed? No, he's saying what he's saying is the way that you understood it is a little bit off. Mm -hmm. And I think if you look once again, throughout the scriptures, you know, you look at Abraham and I don't know if you, uh, you probably have heard sort of like a different take on the story of Abraham, but for many people, it's like, wow, what great faith for a guy who was willing to sacrifice his son, mm. you know? And part of what I heard through a couple of teachings was see what God was doing in that time was he was going against every other religious belief of what you do with your children or what was acceptable in terms of like sacrifice your kids. That's cool. That was like every other religious framework in the world. And what God was doing, he was separating himself. Mm. And he was saying, no, sacrificing your kids, it is not okay. And the people who follow me will not be like this. Mm. Right. And then you see God just continues to reveal deeper truths throughout human history. It's like, oh, you guys think this is what it means to follow God? No, it's this. Mm. And that happened within the Jewish tradition. And then it happened, as you see, like as the Christian tradition was established, right? It was like, yet again, you guys think it's this? No, this guy, Jesus is the Messiah. Mm -hmm. You thought it was going to look this way? No, it's going to look this way. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's just constantly sort of like putting us in our place so that we can actually see reality. 
Yeah. And even I wonder if it's coming from a place of humility as well. Of I've only been on the earth for 33 years. Right. And I think I know my way around. And I think that my dreams are big. But the reality is I've only been on the world for 33 years. Right. And I'm finite. I am a, tempor- a temporary being, at least for 33 years yet. But if God is who God says he is and God is eternal, then God is infinite. And how does the finite grapple with the infinite? I think the only way is through a posture of humility, curiosity, and being open to the idea that I might be wrong about something. Right. Well, not even just being open, just coming to grips with the fact yeah. that you are probably wrong. I'm probably like, wrong. Like, that's the thing. It's like, for both of us, For if you're on Earth, you're probably wrong about a lot. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's it. But mm. the fact of the matter is, people carry themselves in a totally different way, mm. right? We carry ourselves in a way where, like, we think we're more right than wrong. Mm. Now, you've worked with kids in the same way that I have. It's so fascinating working with a 12-year-old who thinks they have figured out all of life. <laughs> and they're 12 years old, Right. Surprise, it doesn't change when you're 25, Mm. right? So I guess a portion of it is, well, maybe if we can teach kids how to understand you don't have life figured out, respect authority, respect wisdom, right? Mm. Then maybe we can really grapple with that and know that that's the same truth when we're 25, you know? Yeah. I think when you're, when we're, as we're talking about this, there's a specific topic that is coming to my mind. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Here we go. You knew this was coming. So you and I have similar beginning parts of our story, different, but similar in the sense of I didn't grow up in the church, but I became a Christian when I was 17. I decided to wait until marriage to have sex and really didn't know much about that decision outside of everyone else in my youth group is doing it. I think this is what it means to be a good Christian girl, good Christian boy. And that was kind of my theology behind it. I really didn't know why. Right. And I went, you know, my story, um, a couple years ago, I went through a breakup and kind of that led me on a path of really deconstructing that decision. Mm-hmm. And really, I felt really confused. I even had this like specific memory of like walking through Soho and we're talking, I'm like, I don't even know if God cares about my sex life. And yeah. Why should I wait? And I honestly don't even know if the Bible says anything about it. So I have been on on my journey through that and have come out of that over the last few years and a lot more clear about where I stand on sex and what I want and what I feel worthy of and my vision for that. And I would love to hear your story or for you to share it with us. I mean, it was still connected to my uncle. So initially yeah. it, wasn't a, it wasn't a Christian choice. Mm. It wasn't like, I read the Bible or my pastor told me this and that. It was before I became a Christian. What I decided was being a womanizer, it wasn't cool. Like, you know, my uncle did that. And I was like, the first time I have sex, it's going to be because I love this woman. Mm -hmm. Like that, that's just going to be it. And then um, I had a whole bunch of close calls until I was 20 years old. And that's when I became a Christian. And then it kind of solidified, oh, like in the Christian framework, you wait until you get married and then you have sex. So there was a little bit more deeper understanding of what I was doing. And what was that deeper understanding? Like what you say within the Christian framework, what was that framework? What was the why? Well, and that's it. it, I wouldn't say somebody gave me like a passage and it was like, because of this passage, I think some, uh, what happened to me initially at least was there were people that I took their word for it. Mm. Right. So like I trusted one of the, the primary guys who invested in me and he was the one that was kind of giving me the primer on like, Here's why waiting until marriage is beneficial, you know, um, our bodies being temples, you know, all the stuff that I think most of us have heard. And I was like, oh, OK, well, that makes sense. And I kind of already knew it. I grew up in the Catholic tradition. So there was a little bit of that understanding that was embedded in me. And now just hearing it from this guy that I trusted, I was like, OK, I get it. Mm-hmm. You know, then I started teaching abstinence. Um When I became a Christian, I felt God say, I'm going to use your voice. One of my friends was like, I want you to come. Um, Basically, I was trying to figure out where do I start speaking. So she was like, hey, we we speak on abstinence. Why don't you come observe what we do? So I was like, oh, I observed the first class. The next day they threw me into the class and I was teaching, you know, um, eighth graders. 
for the first time ever. (laughs) And I loved it. Like I, I didn't fully know what I was getting myself into, you know, because for me and people who have met Jesus will feel this way where it's like you feel this extreme fire where it's like wherever God is, I want to be and whatever he wants me to do, I want to do. And that's what I remember feeling like I didn't have the full scope of like where I was going or how I was going to look. I just knew I had to speak about whatever he wanted me to speak Mm -hmm. on. So in the beginning, it was like this topic of sexuality and abstinence Mm -hmm. and I just happened to be abstinent. So like it was something that I said I can speak on, mm-hmm. you know, and I definitely learned a lot in that time frame. Um, I ended up uh, appearing on the Tyra Banks show, sharing my story. I ended up uh, appearing on the Today Show, you know, a couple of local TV shows in Chicago. I had a front cover. It said I'm a virgin, you know, on, on uh, the, the sister newspaper of the Chicago Tribune, which is the Red Eye. And um, like, this was my reputation now. Mm-hmm. It's like, Johan, super virgin man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he, he has all the superpowers of saying no to sex. And I, you know, I spoke on that for a little bit until um, actually the funding got cut. Mm-hmm. And then I turned the corner. I started speaking on, on leadership topics. Mm-hmm. Continued to live a sort of abstinent lifestyle. Cause I, like, I felt like what started happening for a while, I was like, I think I was pretty strong. And then I just, the desire just continued to grow. And then it was like, oh, I'll play with this line and I'll push it back a little bit more. And then what about this? And what about this? And Can I ask you what those, like, what you mean by that? What are those lines? Well, just, I mean, uh, do you want me to like say terms or things? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, if you feel comfortable. Well, yeah, I never. Because I'm like, people are like, what does it mean to right. like, I was strong. What? Like you only touched her right boob? Or right, like, right. Exactly. You like, you know, some people. Under like, boob. Right. Only the under <laughs> In the beginning, it was like, you know, bump and grind mode, right? And then R. Kelly. a little R. Kelly. I don't see nothing. You know, that was like the pastor, right? It's like, I don't see nothing wrong with a little bump and grind. But um, so that was primarily, I think, at the beginning. I don't know if I could put like a year mark on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember my first Christian girlfriend, she was trying very hard to get me to have sex mm-hmm. because I had told her one day, I was like, if I ever have sex, I'm going to marry that person. Oh, so she was, so she was like, oh, let's go, let's go, you know? <laughs> So I remember she was the first person that I experienced oral sex with. But then I felt so guilty that I didn't do it again for maybe like eight or nine years. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to L.A. <laughs> and then, and then all the freaks came out. <laughs> uh, things definitely changed in L.A. But like I said, it was it was gradual. It was very gra- gradual. And then then it was like basically I would allow myself to be naked with the person, but not you know, enter them. If I, yeah. I don't know if I don't know what the right, the best way to say it is the most tasteful, right. What's the most tasteful way to say this? But you know, it was like naked cuddling. <laughs> like we had some naked cuddling going naked on, cuddling <laughs> you know, and that's the thing. I was like, you know, this is okay. Like, I'm like, we ain't doing all that, but like, it feels fine, you know? So, um, that was kind of like my zone <laughs> for a long naked time. Cuddling. Naked cuddling. That was my, that was my zone. And not um, having sex. Just, so I'm just, that's exactly, I was like, I was like, like I've never, we're you know what I'm saying? I've never put it in. <laughs> so I'm good. So that's what I'm saying. It was like, I got to a point where I basically felt like I was just like a technical virgin, you know, definitely was not quote unquote pure in mm. any sense. And, um, then I started dating a girl who in the beginning, like she wasn't a Christian, but then she became a Christian for me, or so she said. Ooh, gotta be careful with that. <laughs> gotta be careful with that, huh? Yeah. And it was the same thing. It was like just pushing more and more. And then finally, as we went through a back and forth, just like years of back and forth, uh, I finally had sex with her. And she was the first uh, girl that I had sex with. So I failed, uh, you know? But that's a whole other story. So I don't know how much more you want to know about that. But that's, I feel like that's a lot of information. Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for sharing. Yeah. I think for me, spe- I don't ask specifics so that you can air your dirty laundry. I, I, I need specifics for myself because I have found when people talk to me and ideas, I'm like, no, but like, I need to, I need to like, tell me, like, it's not as helpful for me. And I'm sure there's people out there as well. Um, and I also think in the Christian world, people want to know, like, again, they want to remove the nuance and gray and say like, well, be pure. What the hell does yeah. that mean? <laughs> I, that Which by the way, it's like, I honestly don't think, I don't think anybody is. 
I don't either. Right. And I, I think that's the thing. So if, we, if we're communicating that, because yeah. that's the thing, as a guy who people were champion and be like, oh, you're abstinent, you're waiting. But I was not pure in any, like, mm-hmm. even when I wasn't doing anything physical with a girl, like my mind wasn't pure, you know, like there were times where I was dabbling with pornography where it's like, I don't think I was ever pure. Yeah. I don't, I can't remember a time where I've ever been pure. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's not to say just because my experience is this, therefore like everybody's experience yeah. is that too. But if I'm talking about all the friends that I have in my life, I'm like, none of us have had continued victory. I think we have seasons where we're like, okay, I'm good. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm strong and I feel yeah. stable. Yeah. But then it's like, nah, and then we like fall apart, and you it's know? Hard. Yeah. And I, the thing about purity that I just, I want to touch on is, especially dealing with sexuality and desire. I think the church has really done a disservice to people, to us about labeling this part of our spiritual life, which sex is also spiritual. Our, what we do with our bodies is a reflection of what's going on underneath the skin as well. To label that as purity, basically what that is saying is I can earn I can earn my purity. I can earn God's love. I can earn a seat at the table. When I read the scripture, that's not what the scripture teaches. Mm -hmm. That does not mean I should not strive for excellence or purity in my life. But there's something about that that triggers me in regards to the, the conversation in the church about sex, because I'm like, wait, no, no, no. The only thing that makes me pure is Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. The old Testament says, my the, my best gift on my best day that I can offer God, he says, those are filthy rags. So I think when we're teaching others, like, be pure, be pure, it's like, I really think that's a misunderstanding of the scripture. It doesn't mean not to strive for purity in my life, but I think it creates this, it has created a lot of shame in my life. Right. Well, for falling short. Guess what? you're not alone. Oh, thank God. It has created a lot of shame and guilt and mm-hmm. beating up of people and yeah. all throughout. Like, yeah. If you're in the church and you struggle with any type of sexual desire, I'm not even going to use the word sin for that. I'm like, if you have sexual desire, like people feel bad. Yeah. You know, and then mm-hmm. of course, if you fool around with somebody in any capacity, top mm-hmm. to bottom, mm-hmm. there's a lot of hiding it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of guilt and shame. There's yeah. a lot of people beating themselves up. Yeah. And there isn't just, a, it's not a healthy sexual culture. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons why amongst the, like the slew of reasons why people will, will not listen to us in terms of like, you know, advice, or maybe we have an insight into who God is. It's because we can't get things like this. Right. 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 We're, yep. <laughs> right. <laughs> My job. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Boom. Boom. All right, we're gonna end it there. Okay, uh, thanks bye. for coming See out. That's what you call it. <laughs> you gave me a pass. And I you was like, "Yep, yep. Ah, that's right." I did that thing. <laughs> so back to like your story. So you have yeah. sex, mm-hmm. and you're an influencer and leader in your community. <clears throat> You've traveled all over the United States and I think world talking about this, and then this happens. What? happens like what was did you feel ashamed did you struggle or were you like this is my new reality what came up for you in that and did it affect any part of your identity well you know so when i had sex with the uh with i don't want to say her name but um but you can just give her instagram (laughs) exactly (laughs) that'd be so controversial (laughs) oh my god (laughs) did he really have sex um (laughs) but because I loved her, my 11 year old self made a promise is like the first person that I have sex with, I'm going to, I'm going to be in love with her, you know? And I was able to at least, you know, stay true to that mm-hmm. promise. And what I felt was a very, it was a strange mixture, this sort of like weird cocktail of disappointment in myself, but also like, I felt like a weight was lifted off my shoulders because mm-hmm. for so long I did feel the burden of you're the strong guy. And then people would hit me up with messages like, you give me hope. And mm. it's because of you that I did this and this. And I'm like, oh, that, that can become daunting. Mm. You know, it, it can become overbearing. So sure. I felt like I failed in the other part of it, which was waiting until marriage. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, now it's cool that 
I don't have to carry the weight of like everybody's, mm. you know, hope and dream of like, oh, if you, if you're doing it, then that means I can do it. And even though, like I said, for a while, like, that's great. It's great. I think that's part of the, the point that we mm. serve in each other's lives. You know, if you can do it, I can do it. But I think it was just becoming too much for me. Mm. And then that's why I was hiding the ways that I was struggling. Mm. Um, so, you know, and that's the way that I felt. And now I wanted to go back to abstinence with her. I was like, Hey, you know, this is something that we did, but I don't want to make it a pattern. Mm -hmm. And, um, she wasn't necessarily down with that Mm -hmm. because like I said, it's like, she was, I think Christian really only in term, that's kind of what I figured out afterwards. Uh, we were also in counseling. And so I brought it up to the counselor to say, Hey, here's what I want to do. She doesn't necessarily see it the same way. And so we were talking about that, you know, in counseling and, um, so we struggled off and on, but it wasn't like a consistent part of our mm-hmm. relationship. And then mm-hmm. finally we broke up and, um, you know, I remember taking a few months of like, okay, I'm not going to date or try to throw myself back out there. And then I, I finally put myself back out there and I went out on a few dates with a girl and I really experienced that one thing led to another moment with her. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I remember the next day I was just crying. Mm-hmm. Like I just, that's where I felt more. Mm. guilt and shame because I'm like I really didn't care about this person Mm. and it went there so left me in a place where I was now trying to figure out like how do I make sense of this and what am I supposed to do with myself this week's episode of the refined collective podcast is brought to you by our very own freebie that I created just for you called while you wait Now, what is while you wait and why do you want it? Let me tell you, (laughs) I am secure and clear why I'm waiting to choose to wait until marriage to have sex. But for a long time, I wasn't. I moved to New York City. I fell in love. I quickly found out that I was one of the only people I knew, Christian or not, who was waiting. On top of my increasing desire, I began to wonder, is waiting until marriage to have sex an antiquated part of being a Western evangelical Christian? Does God really have anything to say about sex? Do I care if he does? I felt confused and so alone. And so I embarked on what turned into over a year-long journey of discovering my why. I researched every verse in the Bible that talked about sex. I read everything I could get my hands on, from books to mentors to podcasts to single friends to married friends to Christian friends to non-Christian friends and everyone in between. And you know what I found out? I found out that God does care, and I found my why. In a sea of gray, I found solid ground. And so I want to create a resource guide for you. If you are feeling confused, if you're wondering why in the world you're even waiting, does it matter? If you were waiting, then stopped and are wondering what you want to do moving forward in your relationships. If you're not waiting and think I'm just a crazy person, (laughs) it's all for you. This resource guide is for all of you. All of you are welcome. So to get this resource guide, go to therefinedwoman.com slash freebie. That's F-R-E-E-B-I-E. Again, therefinedwoman.com slash freebie. F-R-E-E-B-I-E. And friend, I want you to know that you are not alone. I truly believe the plans God has for your life are more abundant, adventurous, and creative than you could ever hope for. So where did you go from there? Yeah. And I remember walking with you through part of that. And my experience of you during that time was like, it's like it was painful, but this like beautiful unraveling Mm -hmm. of sorts. And I think that's where I like, I struggle saying like, oh, you had a failure. Right. Like, okay, yeah, you didn't live up to the expectation you had for yourself. Or we can go and say, well, you know, God's word does say wait until marriage. And that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. But welcome to being a human. Mm-hmm. Like we, we fall down and make mistakes. And I think it's like in those moments of like who we are in that moment and who we choose to become from that moment. Um, So yeah, I just, I would love to hear just sort of that process of that unraveling and how that was and where you are now. Yeah. Well, I definitely experienced a back and forth, like from that point forward, 
it was months of like, okay, I can't, like, I can't do anything. And then, and then time frames where I'm like, but I'm longing for connection and intimacy that is sexual. Mm -hmm. And it's at that point where I'm wrestling with who I know I want to be as a man. And then my desires and longings just physically. Mm -hmm. And, um, it just was a, a back and forth. I would say it was just a seasonal back and forth mm -hmm. where moments where I'm like, no, this is not who I want to be. So like, be good, quote yeah. unquote. And then times where I'm like, you know what? I remember there was a girl that I was dating and we we're, you know, both Christians. We did not have sex. But then the reason why it ended made me so angry and it was rooted in like, and I'll obviously just put this out there. I'm not rich. And so part of it was her saying like, I didn't make enough money and you know, the economics of my situation weren't ideal for her. And it, you know, that, that type of thing hurt me. Mm -hmm. And then, and I'm, I was like, Oh, so here we go. Yet another mm -hmm. thing, you know, that stands in the way. And so I was like, you know, why, why am I, once again, why I, with mm -hmm. her, we didn't have sex. So like, why am I trying to do the right mm -hmm. thing? You know, like more often than not for me. And like I said, this is me speaking from pain and hurt. Mm -hmm. I'm like, if, if it doesn't work out when you're trying to do the right mm -hmm. thing, then like, I'm just going to not do the right thing, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. But then, like I said, that has a dead end because that's empty and there is no fulfillment in that other thing. Which Why? Is like, Why is there no fulfillment? I don't, I don't know what the, I mean, I don't know if I can give, I know that we can talk about like, here's what it says in the scriptures, or, yeah. but you just walk away still feeling alone. Mm. You know, you, you walk like experientially, it does not give you what you're looking for. And just like you said a little bit earlier, all of us want connection. All of us want intimacy. All of us, all of us want to be seen and known. And even though I had a, a nice sexual experience, I didn't walk away feeling known, seen, mm. right. Connected. Like there was no intimacy. All those things were still very, you know, real in terms of I didn't have it and I wanted it. Yeah. So all it is, is really in, in an, an addictive type of way. It's like you get a fix of something that feels mm -hmm. good, but then you still want that bigger thing, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So that's, that's why, at least for me, mm -hmm. I have been through the up and down mm -hmm. and you know, where I land now, I, I still feel like I'm in the cycle. And a part of my struggle is I don't know if I'm going to get married. Like there's all kinds of wounds and junk inside of me. That's like, well, what if I don't get married? Mm -hmm. A part of me does, but then mm -hmm. a part of me doesn't. And, um, just being truthful in that. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not, if I'm never going to get married, am I going to be a single abstinent man for the rest of my life? And I, I honestly, even though I love Jesus, I'm like, I just don't get that. Mm -hmm. I don't fully understand that. I can't comprehend that. So it's not me justifying it mm -hmm. because it's not like I'm going around sleeping with like whoever, you know, mm -hmm. whenever, however, but it's just like, I'm, I don't fully get it mm -hmm. now when it comes to a person who would not get married. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what you're saying, I know is going to ruffle feathers in the Christian world oh, for course. sure. Yeah. And what, I mean, and you know where I stand. Yeah. Um, through my, through my journey of, you know, I was like, I'm tech. I've never heard of naked cuddling, but that <laughs> is like, yeah, I'm like, technically, logistically, I am a virgin, right. you know? Right. Right. Um, and I fell in love with this guy and he respected me. We cared deeply about each other. And I experienced one of those nights where it's just like, Oh, one thing led to another and we already care about each other. And it was a logistical situation and it, then it didn't happen, but it was really shocking for me after that experience. Cause I didn't feel guilty. Right. I was like, I feel like if this happens, I'm going to feel so guilty, but it felt like the most natural thing in the world. And that's because it is the most natural thing right. in the world. God, Genesis one and two creates man and woman in his image and his likeness and calls humanity good. So that means like all of me as a woman and all of you as a man is good. That includes my sexual organs and it includes things besides my skin and my hair, my desire, my longings, my sexual desires and longings. Um, there is a beauty in that. So like that was an important thing for me to feel like, oh, that's actually a beautiful thing. But what do I do with it now? I'm in my thirties. I 
am in my sexual prime. I want to be, I don't want to just kiss someone on the first day. I want them to take my clothes off. And how do I navigate that? And that sent me on what ended up being a little bit over a year journey of like, I got to know why, like, and it was one of my, my best friends who, you know, well, who doesn't share my faith. She was the one I was talking to about this. And I was like, I think I'm just going to have sex with them. And she's like, no, you're not. I'm not going to let you have sex because you need to figure out what you believe about this. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I want you to have sex because I want you to get it off your back. But you've waited for 30 years for a reason. And you really need to figure out your why. She's like, if you really seek hard and come to a place where you can say in integrity, I'm choosing to have sex before marriage and here's why. She's like, do it. I'll give you the condoms. Mm-hmm. But if, if not, she's like, you need, you have to go on that journey. And I'm like, that's a good friend who yeah. doesn't believe what I believe about yeah. God and sex, but who took a stand for me when I didn't want to take a stand for myself. And I was just kind of ready to throw in the towel. And I honestly began that journey thinking I'll probably just end up sleeping around, mm-hmm. maybe not having one night stands, but sleeping with guys I'm dating. And through that process for me, I was surprised as anyone else that I realized actually not only do I feel compelled to wait until marriage to have sex, but I have such a strong vision of what I want and long for that. Now I'm like, dang it, no more naked cuddling amidst a lot of other things. Um, I've, I ended that journey a lot more conservative. So I say all that because you and I are kind of in different places where we're standing. Right. And I know that's going to feel threatening to people. Oh, of course. You know, and it's going to feel like, oh, so Kat, what are you teaching on the Refined Collective Podcast? Like, you can just do whatever well, you want? No, but do I have space for another person to be on a journey? But I think that's the thing is sometimes it's not about what, like, I think especially in the Christian world, it's always about, like, we have to give advice based on what mm. we're going through or we have to teach you based on what we're going through. And I think, like, I'm not trying to do that. You know, I am, sh- I am sharing my story mm-hmm. because part of what I learned being a guy who was, you know, by definition abstinent was I was living a life where I was extremely conflicted. I was hiding my pains and struggles. I was trying to come across as stronger than I really was, you know, and it was killing me inside. Mm-hmm. But the Christian world was celebrating, me, mm-hmm. you know. And part of what I want to communicate and part of why I do stuff like this now is like the greatest thing that I can do is share honestly about where I'm at and, and share the fact that I don't have it all together. Mm-hmm. And if people are going to judge me, that's fine. They're going to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they do that now. They've done it in the past. It doesn't matter what I've found is like, it doesn't matter what I do. Yeah. I'm going to have a critic. That's right. But what I can do is live honestly and holy. Mm -hmm. And I think if I can teach something, it can be that. Mm -hmm. And and I think people can pull that away from my story Mm -hmm. as opposed to me saying, here's how to stay pure, which Mm -hmm. is part of what happened before, right? Mm -hmm. Here's how to bounce back or here's Mm -hmm. how to do this or here's how to, right? Like it's not about any of that. Mm -hmm. It's about wherever you are, live in that space, honestly and truthfully, let the people around you love you Mm -hmm. for who you are, not for a narrative that you're spinning about yourself, right? you know, not for a version of yourself that isn't true because you think when you tell that version, then people will come close mm-hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you're saying with Duthi, it's like, she loved you for who you were. And she was also fighting for, or am I not supposed to say her name? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> probably yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but she loved you for who you were, right? She's like, <laughs> she's, she's fighting for you when you didn't want to fight for yourself. Mm-hmm. And the only way that we could do that is if we are 100% real, honest, vulnerable, truthful in all of it, Mm -hmm. you know, but the more we hide, the more people are going to be like, well, I'm just, you know. So why do you think you hid for so long? Um, Well, I think it's a number of things. One, I I found that my identity was now centered around how strong I was. Mm. Two, I was celebrated. So like, yeah, it felt good to be like Superman. You know, I was celebrated. People looked up to me. And those were the things that I, I thought were what it was about. Mm-hmm. So you have to keep this machine or this story going that you like have it all together mm-hmm. when in reality you don't. So 
I, that's why I feel like I, I can call it a failure, even though I know we can talk about terms and like, yeah. is it really a failure? And I know sometimes like the only true failure is like when you don't get, get up from the fall mm-hmm. and things like that. But I'm not afraid of saying like I failed, but the greatest, I think, moment for me in terms of awakening came because of that failure mm-hmm. came because I, I missed the mark mm-hmm. and um, I, I was not the person that I thought I was or the person that other people thought I was, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that's the thing that I needed to come to grips with. Yeah. And people talk to me now, you know, and they'll say things like, Oh, you've changed and you're a lot more tender or soft or sensitive. And I think it's because of that. It's like, once you come to grips with the ways that you don't have it together and you're honest with that, mm-hmm. you can be much more empathetic and kind and compassionate with the way that all of us don't have it together. And I think that's the issue with the religious world is the reason why we're so judgmental in the religious world is because we are afraid of being honest with the ways that we are so jacked up, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I was just thinking of something a yoga instructor said to me recently. She was Sometimes in yoga classes, they just start going off. They're like, warrior two. And then they go on their little thing. And she goes, you people need to stop shooting all over yourselves. And I was like, what did she just say? She was like, stop shooting all over yourselves. And when I think of like what you're saying about like the religious community and even like broader than that, when I stop at, I shouldn't have sex or I shouldn't want to get drunk. I shouldn't want to smoke weed. I shouldn't. That is cutting off my heart. Right. It's cutting off vulnerability. And it's really saying that life is black and white. And I do believe that there are black and white truths. Mm-hmm. But when I stop at should and shouldn't, I cut my heart off from feeling. And I think the first, the first step to actual growth is allowing yourself the permission to say, actually, I want to have sex. Right. And maybe I know I shouldn't, but it's what I want. And I remember living with, I had living with this group of girls in Southern California, you know, some of them. And I was deciding whether or not I wanted to smoke weed. I came from Texas and my dad had a drug abuse problem. And so I was like, I'm never going to do drugs. And then I moved to Southern California and most of my Christian friends smoked weed and like weed wasn't a thing. It was like, just another thing. And so I was so confused and I secretly really wanted to smoke weed. Yeah. But I remember talking with my roommate at the time and she's like, so why aren't you smoking weed? I was like, because I shouldn't. She's like, why else aren't you doing it? I was like, because I shouldn't because it's wrong. And it was some version of that. And she was like, if the only reason you can think to not smoke weed is because you shouldn't do it, go ahead and smoke weed. And honestly, I was like, so jarred by her response. It felt so offensive. I was like, that's not what you're supposed to say to me. You're supposed to say, yeah, you shouldn't smoke weed because it's wrong. But she's like, you have to come up with a more compelling reason why not to do something or why to do something besides should or should it, because you're not being honest with yourself. And I remember how threatening that felt. And it was really, really the first person in my spiritual life that actually gave me permission to admit that I wanted to do something. Right. And really from there, I got to unpack, okay, actually, I, I don't want to do this. When I really unpack all the reasons why, I, I could come to a clear decision. Oh, actually, I'm making this decision not to smoke weed. And it's from a place of wholeness, as opposed to like when I'm stuck in the should or shouldn't, it's right. I'm a victim to the decision or a victim to the expectations of others or a victim to societal expectations or my own expectation for myself. Mm-hmm. So I, I hear that with like, even where you're at right now, that's like what I hear is you've kind of like dropped the should and shouldn't. And you're like, okay, here's where I'm at. I don't know if right. it's like right or wrong, but at least I'm being honest with where I'm well, at. Well, I mean, now. I think that's it. I would even sort of like say, I, I, I know it's not what's best, mm-hmm. you know? And I think once again, I'm not, I'm not fooling myself. I'm not trying to fool anybody else. I know that some of the choices that I make are not the best choices for myself. Mm-hmm. But once again, in a sober way, it's like sometimes it's better than nothing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, feeling like there are times where you can drink sun-kissed orange pop and, and know that you're not getting orange juice. 
but at least there's some sort of like satiating of thirst mm -hmm. and it may be temporary and it may not be the best for you, but there is a semblance of some sort of experience that is pleasurable. So that's what I'm saying is like, I'm not, I'm not trying to fool anybody that's listening or I'm not trying to fool myself. Cause I know there are times where I'm just making a bad choice. Yeah. You know? And what's, uh, what's underneath that as far as being willing, this is what I've did and I have done and I continue to do in areas of my life. I settle for the part and not the whole. Right. And you can say it. So I want to, something is better than nothing, but what, what's underneath that? Like what's the fear? Why there's, I feel like there has to be a fear underneath that. Oh, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of things. underneath. Yeah. That. I think what, it's, it's what I was telling you. The fear is being alone mm -hmm. for the rest of my life and never truly experiencing any forms of intimacy. So that's why I feel like I settle at times because I'm like, well, it's better than this other thing, which is like, oh, I die. And then I've only experienced sex, you know, two mm -hmm. times, three times, whatever. And then like, that's it. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, I, like I said, I, there's so many fears. This is, this is one of the areas of my life where uh, I think we were talking about it the other day where I really believe and I know it's not popular to say in the Christian world, but I am definitely a guy who pursues, but I feel like I'm, I need somebody who's going to pursue me 30%. You know, I'll pursue 70 and then I need her to pursue me 70% because what I'm afraid of, I'm afraid of myself also in a relationship. I'm afraid of running. I'm afraid of not being enough. Mm. You know, I'm afraid yeah. of like wanting to, to just jump out and I'm, I'm afraid of it being a prison like the relationship being in prison when I do get married. So I'm afraid of a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. think there's one thing. Yeah. Well, I think in just in context with that, just to give people more context of what we were yeah. talking about, um, we were talking about like what, like how do we like navigate as like men and women, like dating and relationships. And I think most women myself, like I want to be pursued. I, who doesn't want, who doesn't want a guy to just come, like hum up to me and say, I like you. I want you. I'm clear about that. I want to take you out. That is great. Um, but I think what can happen with women and I can only speak to the female experience is we can have this entitlement of you have to do all the work because you're the man and I want you to be the provider. And like I am progressive in a lot of ways, but I do have this like traditional, like, yeah, I want to be pursued and fought for, but that does not mean that you have to do all the work. And I think the, there is, so when you say that 70 to 30 thing, like I shake my head, yes. And it, it probably might actually end up being within a long-term relationship. 50 50. Yeah. Well, you know, like I, I hold space for you. Well, that's the thing is what, you know, I had a conversation with one of my married friends the other day and she's like in marriage, it's 50 50 or it's like, sometimes I'm caring more. And I was like, yeah, but the Christian world expects before you get married, mm -hmm. the guy is doing all the caring mm -hmm. and then you get married. And I think for the most part, it's understood that it's a mutual caring, mm -hmm. but that entitlement or that expectation for us as men is we're supposed to carry all of it. Then you get married. And now we can share it. Mm -hmm. And I think, look, I mean, I don't think that's the healthiest way to go about things. And that's why I'm like, I'll be honest with the fact, like, here's what I need. I, I already kind of need a semblance of that in dating and even into like the engagement phase of things because of my fears, yeah. you know, because but, of my, my issues. But what does that look like? Because you're also the type of man that if you like, oh, this is what you said in our conversation the other day is if I like a woman, I'm going to, it's going to be clear. Yeah. And so... Like you do pursue. Yeah. And so when you say 70, 30, or I need someone like, get, like, what does that look like? Yeah. Well, yeah. So I, I mean, I make it clear. I let you know, I like you. I go after mm -hmm. you. All that is, is clear. It's simple. You don't have to figure it out with me, but there comes a point where the question that I start asking myself is, is this what I really want? Am I supposed to be in this relationship? Is this going to work out? And like, then I start doing that to myself. Mm -hmm. Now, what I know, and I'm sure you would agree with me, is no woman likes to be on the other end of that. No woman likes to be on the other end of somebody doubting whether or not this is the relationship mm -hmm. that they want or whether, because I think what happens is women hear, oh, I'm not good enough for you. You know, they feel rejected. They feel rejected. And that's not what's being communicated. Really what's being, for me at least, it's like, 
part of it is like, do I have what it takes? And it is me doing this analytical thing of like, are we good for each other? Is it going to explode in five years? And I'm doing all this stuff that is not healthy. But that's what I think I need. Like I said, somebody who comes alongside me and says, it's okay. I understand. I understand why you're doing this. I understand what your parents experienced. I understand that it can be scary. Mm -hmm. I'm here and I'm with you. So you, it sounds like you want, you want someone to like meet you in that space Yes, and not be threatened. Yes. Not to, cause I think what happens is a lot of, like a lot of women make it about themselves. They make it about their inadequacies and insecurities. And cause I've heard that there are, I'm not the only guy that struggles mm -hmm. with this. And I think the interpretation when there's a man who's struggling with this is, oh, he's a flake there's, or there's something wrong with me. They either make it about a character issue mm -hmm. that we have or about something that's inadequate um, in terms of the way they are. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be either of those things. It could just be the fact that we're human <laughs> and it's hard. It is mm -hmm. difficult, mm -hmm. you know? So now I can be honest with the fact that sometimes I have doubts and questions and concerns, mm -hmm. you know, like yeah. if you help me walk through them and I can see your kindness and compassion mm -hmm. and your love in those moments. I'm like, yo, then we're in for a good life. Mm -hmm. Cause like a lot of life is going to be difficult to trod through, you right. know? But I got my note from my ex-girlfriend who I shared this stuff with. And she was like, you're a coward. And like, you know, she basically mm -hmm. like leaned into me and she like tore into all these wounds in my yeah. life. And now it just kind of only made it worse. Put salt right. In the wounds. right. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I know what I need and it's not that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think like when I hear that, I think what that would take, like if I was in that relationship and like my boyfriend, fiance, husband comes to me, like that would take for me to be able to enter into that space safely and be able to hold space for you in that. I would have to know that my identity is not in right. what you think of me. Right. It's not in the status of our relationship. Like my spouse, my boyfriend cannot be my foundation. And so when that happens, like, and I think that really kind of seems like what you're referring to is like, you can't be the foundation. Cause like you're going to be wobbly right. and guess what? I'm going to be wobbly. Right. Like we're relationships are going to ebb and flow. And I think to be able to withstand that, cause that does feel shaky yeah. and jarring. But for me to know that actually everything I already want and long for, which is love, connection, intimacy, acceptance to be understood. I already have all of that mm -hmm. in Christ. Yeah. That is my worldview. That's what I believe about. God, the God of the Bible is that all of, all of those longings are already fulfilled. So I already have access to it. It doesn't mean that I don't also want those things sure. in, in life. But when I'm coming from that frame of mind, then I can interact with another human being who is question, questioning. I don't know if this is right for me. I don't know if I like this and realize that, okay, this isn't about me. Right. And I can meet you in that place. But if my identity is in my relationship or what this person thinks of me, then you start doubting right. the, the whole house. It's a house of cards. And that, that is also a back bearing role that you were never meant to take. Right. Right. And I think, you know, what I have, what's consistent in terms of all, and we talked about it the other day, we have a lot of married friends who even in marriage are experiencing the back and forth, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I, I'm probably saying this out of naivety, right? Like I'm, there's probably some naive truths going well, of on. Of course, because we're both single. Right. <laughs> but I, I think, I believe in terms of what I've shown in my friendships, it's like I'm a consistent friend. Like I'm not the type of friend who's going to run away from problems. Mm -hmm. I stick through it. Like I show up my family. I have a dysfunctional family. We're all jacked up. Mm -hmm. I do not run from my family. I have never cut a person off. Like this is the type of person that I am when it comes to who I am in dating versus like who I believe I will be as a husband, I think those two things are very different. And mm -hmm. part of what I'm saying is like, help me get through the difficulty of like the dating phase and like the thing that gets me to make a commitment. Mm -hmm. And then once I make a commitment, man, there's going to be an extra level mm -hmm. of like that strength. Yeah. You know, I, I have, and like I said, maybe that's naive, mm -hmm. but I do believe in what I've shown with every other area of my life. Mm -hmm. I just think that this is a block, you know, before I get to the commitment of mm -hmm. marriage, there's some things that have happened there where I'm like, I don't know how to make it over the hump. Yeah. And I don't, and I think, you know, part of it is a timing thing, not finding the right mm -hmm. person, like learning some of the truths that I've only learned within the past two years. Mm -hmm. But I feel like once I get to marriage, 
I don't think I'll be as shaky mm. as I was, uh, uh, you know, just as a boyfriend. Mm. So I don't, like I said, maybe no, that's not true. Maybe, maybe it is, Yeah, but that's yeah. the way I feel. Mm. Well, I, yeah, I just appreciate your honesty so much and yeah, it encourages me. And I think what is, what I'm so grateful about our friendship is even in this dialogue, like we can see eye to eye on some things and we can be in different places and that's okay. Like it's okay and healthy and good to have friendships where we can disagree. And I don't even think we are disagreeing on anything in this conversation, but to have, it's a very freeing thing to have friendship and community with, with another to be in process and doubt and, externally process what is going on in my mind without you being threatened or me being threatened or other friends being threatened of, well, you should have said that or you you shouldn't be feeling that. So I just, I appreciate your honesty. It's a gift. And I feel like I could just ask you a lot more questions, but I know we're both hungry. Hey, for sure. And I would say this, I mean, I don't know if you're kind of like looking for a closing thought or even if you want to leave it at that, Mm. but, um, I have a little brother who is 20 years old. And I think one of the greatest things that I ever did for our relationship was just love him where he was. Like Mm -hmm. he was making decisions that I didn't agree with. Mm -hmm. You know, he was, he was doing things that I thought were destructive. And, um, as a result, it was hurting me. And so I had hard conversations with him and I was trying to get him to change his ways. And then there came a day where I realized I'm like, none of that is going to change him. Mm And I, I remember we had ice cream. I took him to Jenny's ice cream. This is not an advertisement. But I just looked at him and I said, no matter what you do, no matter what you choose, I love you and I'm not going anywhere. I will always be here. Mm-hmm. And um, I can honestly say that that was the moment that things shifted for us as brothers, the way that we related. And just this summer, you know, I was working at a camp and he, um, he broke down and he started crying because he saw me crying when I was talking to the kids. And he said, you know, our parents don't give me much hope in regards to mm-hmm. change. He's like, but I've seen you change over the last couple of years. And, um, you know, that brought me to tears. Mm-hmm. But it gave me hope because I'm like, all I did for him was say, hey, you don't have to have it all together for us to be brothers. Yeah. yeah. And um, I just loved him where he was at. And I think mm-hmm. that's a part of what I need at this stage in my life, even though I'm 38 years old and right? It's like, oh, you should know certain things by now. But I think that's what I need. I just need friends that that love me. Mm-hmm. I know that that's what God provides in my life, you know? So this podcast today is not about a how-to. Right. It's not about a step-by-step. Right. Step. I think it is one about, are we going to posture ourselves in such a way where we allow God to love us where we are at? And then are we going to do that with the people in our life? Mm-hmm. And then are we going to do that with ourselves? Can we love ourselves in the midst of whatever funk you're in, whatever choices that you're making, if they're not the best, can you honestly love yourself in those choices? Mm-hmm. Can you love other people in those choices? Because I think that's that powerful, supernatural community that God is trying to create. Yeah. And I think that's the gift that we can give people with this podcast today is like, let's do that as Christians. Mm-hmm. Let's throw away all the judgment. Let's throw away all the rules and all the, the how-tos, and this is the way that it has to look and say, and let's love each other so well, no matter where we're at, that people are come flocking to be a part of our community. Mm-hmm. That's good. I want to be part of that. Let's do it. Let's do it. So, Johan, where can people follow along with your journey, with what you're up to? Oh, is this where I get my Instagram handle? And I'm like, yo, follow me on Instagram. (laughs) Yeah. So I have a website and I have Instagrams. I'm not, I'm not as active on Twitter. Are you on the Twitters? I didn't even know Twitter was still a thing. I feel like, right. People are like Twitter, whatever. Everybody's on the gram. uh, Right. (laughs) Or Snapchat in their life. No, but Trump still has Twitter. Oh man. That's probably why everybody's like, I'm done with that. (laughs) This dude saying some nonsense on Twitter. But, um, yeah. See, that's why I said, maybe not everybody's friends. They're going to listen to this. The Trump supporters listen to this. They're like, I knew she was anti-Trump. I hate her. <laughs> I still love you. I still love you. Yeah. Even if um, we disagree. Right. Uh, so my handle is Johan Speaks. It's very easy. J-O-H-A-N-S-P-E-A-K-S. Johan Speaks for Instagram. And then also that's my website, www.johanspeaks.com. Great. I also have a YouTube where I uh, have released like four videos right now we're trying to really 
make some stuff happen. Right. But um, struggling in that department, but we're we're getting it together and trying to find our groove uh, from a content standpoint with the videos that we're creating. So you can you can peep me, Johan. You just look up Johan Kalili, and then you'll see my YouTube because somebody took Johan speaks. Do you believe what that? Yeah. Yo, and you what know what's crazy is they have like sex stuff on there. Oh man, someone's trying to. They trying to take my testimony. <laughs> Uh, love you, Fred. Love you, awesome. I'm Kat Harris, and you've been listening to the Refined Collective Podcast. You can follow our journey on Instagram at The Refined Woman, our website, therefinedwoman.com, for show notes, other features and interviews, and a deeper look into our tribe. Find us on iTunes, The Refined Collective. Subscribe, rate, review, and leave us some love. Join me next time and thank you so much for listening. And one last thing, in case you ever forget, you are not alone. Your story matters and you belong here.